welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. As usual, it's Arlene and Katie, and I'll ask Katie what's going on in Iowa. So, Katie, what's going on in Iowa? Arlene, as you may have seen from the temperature map that I converted and sent to you and your sisters the other day, it's going to be about 50 degrees warmer this week than it was last week. So we're trying to get shit moved so that it won't be in six feet of mud by the end of the week crossing our fingers except it's currently frozen to the ground yeah 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 now it's it's all frozen to the ground right now but we're hoping to get it that momentary moment between when it is not frozen to the ground right when that the temperature shift happens and when you can't reach it because you will die of mud check this is really good for animals too i find you know like pneumonia and such it's good for the vet's profits and no, I don't think vets get paid enough, but I do think that drug companies probably get paid enough. Probably they do, yeah. For any uh, non-livestock farmers, this weather is like basically a guarantee of pneumonia for most animals, I would think. Um, I don't know. I don't have all kinds of animals, but all the animals I have experience with, this kind of weather brings pneumonia, and it's not good for humans either. Yeah, big shifts aren't great. Yeah, yeah. Cold and dry is good. Warmish and wet is not. So cold and dry to warmish and wet is worse. So there's that. And then who knows? Could swing right back around again. Who knows? Midwest, yay. Uh, how are things in Canada, darling? Are you sober yet? So we had a big week. Uh, so my husband and I got a few days away from the farm and we went to the Dairy Farmers of Ontario annual general meeting. So there were some meetings, but there were also some fun evenings as well with, you know, things like wine and cheeses and lots of cheeses and uh, banquet and some hospitality suites afterwards. So our bedtime, which is usually early because we get up early, um, shifted. So we were actually going to bed closer a couple of nights to when we would normally be getting up. So it's going to take us a long time to recover, but it was a really fun week. We got to see lots of other farmers and industry people and people that we had gone to university with, people we were in junior farmers with, make those kinds of connections. People that know our parents, you know, the way things are in the egg world, right? You know, people that knew your siblings or all that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And then we kind of ended up transitioning that couple day trip into a little bit longer because then a couple days later in a nearby town, there was a so an alumni event for the the place that we went to the, to the university and now our daughter attends. So we ended up adding that on and saw some more friends from university. And so it was a very social week for us. We are not used to this many people, which was a big deal. We also fit in a show while we were in Toronto. So we felt we like we got a little bit of culture as well, went to a, went to a play. Um, yeah. So now we just like hunker down and stay home for a while, but. It was it was very good. Sometimes it's good for the soul to get away from the farm, and then you also appreciate the farm when you get back. So 
lots of positives. So Arlene, through uh, perusing our joint Instagram inbox, who won the ladies arm wrestling tournament situation? Yeah, you guys, I was giving Arlene shit about, you know, having a second drink. And then I found out that Arlene can put away more in a night than I do in a year, which I'm seriously impressed by at this age. And then there was a message about women arm wrestling. So it wasn't really planned. It wasn't a tournament by any means. But I did get slightly peer pressured into an arm wrestle uh, that I did win. So um, there was a second arm wrestle with the same person afterwards that I didn't win. But the first one is the one that counts. So we'll just go with that. Not a pro by any means, but the person who she had arm wrestled before me met me at the door and gave me some hot tips. So that that really helped for sure. You got to lock the wrist. Was she also a dairy farmer, though? Because I feel like. Oh, yes. Yeah, she's also a dairy farmer. Livestock farmers generally would have a might have an advantage over crop farmers. Well, definitely dairy farmers. I mean, like when you're without robots, obviously. Um, but yes, yeah, we both milk cows. And um, so, yeah, prepping and putting on milkers. So lots of lots of daily uh, grip strengths and uh, arm movement. So apparently this is her thing. Uh, I have heard on other occasions, not typically my thing. But um, yeah, I did. I did succumb to the people. Well, I'm impressed. But I won. So it all worked out. And I'll just like ride that forever. I will never um, wrestle again. We'll go with that. And um, I can just... Uh, Hang up my, uh, hang up my medal and be done. Always quit a winner, Arlene. Always quit while you're on top. Yes, that's right. We will, we will go with that. All right. Shall we introduce our guests for this week? Yep. Sounds good. Welcome. Today we are excited to be talking to Natalie Green, who's joining us from Virginia, our first guest from Virginia. So we get to uh, cross off another state on the map of places that we've had guests from. So, Natalie, we start each of our interviews with the same question, which I know you're a listener, so you already know this. So we'll just go ahead and ask, what are you growing? I am actually still growing some crops in the ground, surprisingly. Um, we have some things like kale, collards, lettuce, arugula, lots of brassica still going. Um, I am trying to avoid growing any animals right now and just keeping the ones that we have. It's cold, so, you know, avoiding plugging in the incubator and stuff like that. Um, and then really just working on growing my business and the community surrounding that. Um, I'm really excited this year to um, be doing a CSA for the second time for produce and then the, going into the third year of a plant CSA. So I'm working on kind of getting plans and starting seedlings and all of that kind of stuff. So when it's not January, can you tell us some of the things that you grow in the summertime and what, what kind of animals that we're talking about? Because even if you're not like actively growing more, hopefully they're still growing and thriving. Yeah, I um, as far as animals, we have three goats. So we have a full size Nubian, a Nigerian and then a mini Nubian buck so that he can be the uh, uh, mate to both of those girls. And then we have two ducks, three turkeys. I've lost count of the amount of chickens right now. I think it's somewhere between 20 and 30. And then um, we have three rabbits and three pigs. So during the wintertime, we kind of wean down on things. And then as summer comes, um, we'll start to breed the rabbits and things like that. And then as far as crops go, uh, this year, my husband and I are actually, we're kind of right in the middle of it right now, are challenging ourselves to grow all of our food. Um, 
A few exceptions to that are coffee because he's addicted to caffeine um, and we can't grow that well in our climate. We are um, buying salt and then like some other things that we might need for safely preserving foods. But um, so we've grown just about everything this year um, from rice to popcorn to wheat, um, different types of melons. We've planted a lot of fruit trees and then our normal seasonal veggies like tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers. And for people who don't know, can you also tell our listeners how much land you're doing all of this on? Yeah, we have one acre of land. Um, and for people who maybe aren't like super familiar with land sizes, that's about the size of a football field. So we also live on this acre and we've had to be very strategic about where we're placing things. We've definitely moved some stuff around over the years or added or subtracted things based on um, you know, how they fit into our landscape and how our, our little property is changing um, as time goes on. But I think that's probably the most shocking thing for people, especially when we tell them that we're raising these animals and trying to grow all of our own food. Um, you can do a lot in a small space if you plan well. And sometimes things are easier because they are closer to home, but it also makes things a little bit more challenging because you have to be moving animals around and moving crops around and, and all of that sort of stuff too. So Natalie, did you start this process in the summer or in the winter? Because I'm envisioning that if you decided you were going to do this in like January in, in Iowa, at least, um, you'd be heavy on the animal products and pretty light on anything green. Um, just because of what's growing this time of year? Or did you start with a bunch of preserved foods from the season before? Yeah, that's a really good question. We started in July. Um, and the reason that we started then was because we knew that we would have some abundance to start with. And we also had our staple crops coming in. So our um, white and red potatoes at that point. And this was actually all my husband's idea. Um, he was traveling for work and he called me and said, hey, I have this crazy idea. I think we should try to grow all of our own food. And so this was October of last year. And we spent several months planning. Um, we did some different workshops and conferences and stuff like that. And we really had to figure out like how we ate and what was going to be a priority for us. So um, someone who like eats pizza every Friday night or really loves pasta, you're going to be heavier on like the wheats and grains and things like that. Whereas us, we were okay giving up some of those things and making some swaps and changes. Um, so that's definitely kind of been the biggest adjustment for us. And now since it is cold, we do have some greens that are still on the ground that we're able to eat fresh, but we're e eating a lot more frozen stuff. Um, I really don't love canned food, even when we're canning it ourselves. So in lieu of canning, we've frozen a lot of our veggies or made like soups and things like that, that we can still be getting a well-balanced diet, but it may not just be fresh. I'd say the hardest thing, especially this time of year, has been going without fruit. Um, so every time we see friends or family, they usually are like walking in with a carton of strawberries or like a bag of apples or something like that as a peace offering for us because um, that's the thing that I think we both probably miss the most. So is that kind of your workarounds? You will only prepare food that you have grown yourself, but if someone were to give you something, then you wouldn't turn them down. 
Yeah, we um, obviously like we're not out in the middle of nowhere. Where we're not interacting with society. Like we still are doing family holidays and eating whatever's there in those instances. And, you know, if we are traveling or something, sometimes we will bring things with us and sometimes we'll uh, purchase stuff. A lot of people at the beginning, I think, almost felt sorry for us. Like we're almost torturing ourselves. And um, so they wanted to like bring us all of this stuff. And we're like, we're not trying to make ourselves miserable with this. We're just trying to like explore this new thing and see if we can actually do it. So after we kind of explained that to people, they kept they stopped trying to like drop off chocolate chip cookies and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so occasionally we will. But then there have been some times like we just saw my mom for Christmas and her pantry is always stocked with anything and everything. And she's like, just fill up a bag of what you want. And we're like, we're OK, mom. We're like, we don't need to take like all of the cookies and chips and stuff like that home. So trying to get everyone else around us to be as on board with it as we are has been a little bit challenging. Um, we actually have been growing all of our animal products for a few years. So that was very a very easy transition for us. We knew what it was like to, you know, grow and harvest our animals at home. And so we didn't have to overcome that barrier. Um, it was really just adding in like the staple crops and making sure we had enough fruits and vegetables to sustain us. I do have to say that, A, I feel like at this point, if you ate a bunch of Snickers bars and Pringles and whatever, you would probably have the most god awful stomach ache. And B, that I think it's it's great that your husband had this idea while he was presumably in a hotel with the Continental Breakfast and room service and was like, you know, what would be great is if we just stopped eating anything convenient and just, you know, grew it ourselves. But I do, I appreciate that you mentioned that you're still buying that you're buying, you know, salt and coffee because I see people go into it and they're like, we can grow everything. And I'm like, you're really going to want some salt pretty soon. Like, Right. They're asking if we're like still buying toilet paper. And I'm like, we're growing our food. Like <laughs> we're not, you know, completely off grid. We still need to wipe our butts and like do all of that kind of stuff. So I think people have like different views of, you know, quote unquote, self-sufficient and so they're like, are you off grid? Are you using water? Are you using toilet paper? Like, we're just we're just focusing on the food right now. Like, you know, that's all we're worried about. And um, it's really just kind of. Yeah, you don't have to go all in. Yeah, yeah. And I think the you know, we won't do this forever. It is obviously very challenging and it's inconvenient in a lot of ways. But I think it's important just to demonstrate um, that it can be done on a small space. And it's a fun project for us to work on together. My husband, actually, when we started this whole homesteading thing, he was not into it at all. Um, and so now that he's kind of come to this point where he's interested in doing these things and this whole thing was really his idea, I think it's funny to see how it's come full circle. He just tells everybody, like, she wouldn't stop bringing animals home and I knew I wasn't going to be able to stop her. So I figured I just had to join her. <laughs> so that leads really well into how did you how did you get started in this? It doesn't sound like it was something that you you grew up in, like a lot of farmers or homesteaders end up doing. So what, what, what was your start? Yeah, I um, growing up, you know, 
I was a kid who mostly grew up in like apartments and townhomes and didn't really have a backyard. My mom would plant little things when we had an opportunity. Um, and my grandmother grew, we would always grow strawberries in the summer that would get eaten up by birds. So I definitely was exposed to, you know, little bits of gardening here and there, but it wasn't really a part of our day-to-day life. And then after college, I had an opportunity to um, spend a, a year living and working in Jamaica, um, kind of like in a very rural space. And so while I was there, I was working with a lot of people who were living off grid um, compared to, you know, what we would consider like modern day conveniences. And um, we worked on projects like building composting toilets and chicken coops and planting all of these things and gathering ingredients. And so that got me interested in just like living a simpler lifestyle. Um, But of course, I went home and I got my corporate job and all of that. But while I was there, I actually um, got really sick and I got diagnosed with Graves disease, which is a, a thyroid disorder that affects a lot of your hormones. And a big impact that that had on me was my um, like GI system. And so I had to start changing how I was eating. And so I, I was doing that for a long time. And I noticed, you know, the better I eat, just more quality ingredients, less fast food, things like that, the better I felt. Um, and at the time I was living in Baltimore city, so I didn't have, you know, I barely had a backyard. My backyard was like the size of most people's closets probably. Um, but I found a pallet in my alleyway and I just like screwed it to the fence in my backyard and I started growing herbs back there. And then when my husband and I moved to Virginia, we had a little bit of a bigger backyard. So we made a a little raised bed. And so every opportunity I got to kind of build on just that little bit of knowledge that I had, I would expand my growing space. And then eventually, once we had that little backyard, we got our first three chickens, which I'm pretty sure we weren't legally allowed to have. And it was all downhill from there. Um, we, We found the house that we live in now. And you know, the animals and plants and all of that slowly started coming in. But for me, it was it was a health shift, but also um, a mental health shift as well. I found that, you know, having these animals to care for and plants to care for and kind of going through the growing process with them and, um, you know, failing a lot, but also having a lot of successes was a really fun way to connect with my food and also um, challenge myself in a lot of different ways. No, I was just going to say you, you talked about um, failing and I was, I'm just curious from having, I follow you on social media and, and you are pretty open about, about sharing your failures, how a lot of people aren't willing to be that vulnerable and share the things that, that haven't gone well or that, that you do fail at. Um, I guess I'm curious about what makes you feel comfortable sharing and and what kind of feedback you get from people because you do that. Yeah, I think at first, um, you know, I was still learning a lot of things. So I didn't always realize like what I was doing was wrong. So I was just like, look at this thing I did. It's awesome. And then, you know, three months later, I'm like, crap, nothing actually grew out of this. Let me figure out why and talk about that. But I, with social media, you know, you see so many people just sharing their highlight reel. And obviously we all want, you know, a pretty Instagram feed or whatever type of media you're using so that you're drawing people that 
feel similarly or have similar interests to you. But at the end of the day, we all have challenges and we all have struggles. And I never saw anyone especially talking about like the animal side of things. A lot of people would talk about, you know, crops that didn't go well or houseplants that they killed or something like that. But I also saw a lot of people around me starting to get animals and bring them home and have challenges, whether their pig got too big because they bought this quote unquote mini pig and now it's, you know, 200 pounds and ripping up their floorboards Um, or, you know, a baby goat died or something like that. And they felt like they were doing something wrong because no one else was talking about these things. And by sharing some of these experiences and kind of doing those hard things, not for them, but alongside them, I think more people were comfortable to ask questions and also just try new things because everything's not going to be perfect. You know, unfortunately, plants are going to die. Sometimes animals might get sick. They may die as well. But the more you know and the more we're talking about this and, and normalizing the fact that we all have failures and, you know, what, how can we prevent this in the future so that the next person maybe doesn't have this sort of luck um, is really important. I do overall get a, a positive response. Um, I feel like when you're sharing that much, you also get a lot of like advice that you didn't ask for. Sometimes I'm sharing not even to vent just to be like, hey, I did this. It didn't work. Maybe don't do it this way. And I'm not necessarily looking for someone to fix my problem. So that maybe that's like my oldest child syndrome. I don't know. Sometimes frustrates me. Um, And then, you know, especially with animals and and people who maybe don't agree with us raising our animals for food. They're like, well, if you just didn't eat meat, like you wouldn't have that problem. Or wouldn't it just be easier to go to the grocery store or, you know, comments like that? And I'm like, yeah, it, it really would. But that's not the choice that we're making. So um, I, I'd say it's definitely more positive than negative. But I'm sure as you, you all both probably experience as well, it's those negative comments that kind of like wear on you and stick with you a little bit more. So trying to just brush those off for certain platforms like Facebook, especially, I just like I pick like one day a month and I go through and like respond to some of the comments because I just can't take all of the the feedback all of the time. Um, so I just kind of like compartmentalize it. I wonder how much of it is that the flow of information now is so constant that we feel like we have to have an opinion and we lose so much of the gray area of, you know, having shared about things like we feed antibiotics to our sheep for three weeks a year. And I've gotten some nasty comments about that. And I have a friend who raises hogs and has gotten nasty comments for vaccinating her hogs, you know, or for treating hogs or whatever and it's you know for us with feeding antibiotics it's that or the first year we didn't we lost 60 percent of our lambs like because we had a we have an endemic bacteria in our flock and so it's like no I'd, i'd rather not be using these antibiotics but if it's that or losing half my animals there's no there's no choice there but what people hear when they're not as vested in it as we are is antibiotics are bad. So all antibiotics must be bad all of the time. And we can't really blame them for believing that when that's all that's being presented and it's being presented really easily and quickly for them to believe that. But it does make it, 
I think, more important for us to counter that in our own work because they don't know why we're doing it. Um, plus, I think there's a lot of power in people thinking you're stupid. Um, what you were saying about, you know, not knowing what wasn't supposed to work. Because if you don't know it's not supposed to work, there's so much less pressure on making it work. And people leave you alone because they're like, well, you're an idiot, you know, and they let you just go on your merry little way. And if it works, then you feel good. And if it doesn't work, then they feel good. Absolutely. And when it comes to like antibiotics and medications and things like that, I don't think that people consider like what's going to work for one person is not going to work for everybody. I have a handful of animals. Someone else who has dozens of animals or someone who has hundreds of animals is going to have to maintain, you know, that situation a lot differently. Our climates are different. The plants and soil and all of that stuff and microorganisms that are going to make our animals sick are different. So I don't think until people really take the time to like understand um, why you have to make certain decisions that they can respect and honor that like everyone's got to do what's best for them and what's best for the animal at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. So you were a teacher before, is that right? And then made the decision to, decision to go all in on making your living from your one acre. Um, what what went into that decision? And was and I'm sure it was scary, but uh, how how is that going? Yeah, I um so I taught science um in middle school which middle school in itself, you know, is a challenging time for a lot of kids. But I felt like that was where I wanted to be because um, especially, you know, here, um, the school that I taught at was in an area that is kind of on the border between if you go 15 minutes one way, you're in the city. And if you go 15 minutes the other way, you're more where I live. So more in like a rural area. So very different environments, socio socioeconomics, all of that stuff. Um, and I really loved being at the school. Um, they had a farm, so that's why I wanted to work there. It wasn't, it was a farm that they produced like different row crops and stuff like that. And the kids would come out and in the summer, there was a farmer there that would take things to the farmer's market, but the farm wasn't really being utilized super well and not integrated into the curriculum. So I, of course, had this goal that I was like, I am going to get these kids out to this farm. We're going to put our hands in the dirt and all of that. Um, especially the girls, like I'm going to show them like, you know, black girls can farm too. And I worked really hard with some other people who had kind of already had the momentum going within the school system to actually create a course called Backyard Urban Gardening. So we got a class um, approved by the county, which is still there. Anybody in the county um, at the middle school level can teach this course to their students, which is great. And it's all about learning about our urban gardening um, and so I basically ended up like creating what I thought would be the perfect job for myself. I was teaching this class and I was running the farm full time. So, um, but that it meant that I was also giving up evenings and weekends to do like volunteer opportunities and going to the farmer's market and all of that. And it destroyed my work-life balance. Um, working as a teacher, you're giving up a lot of those times anyway, just because you got to do parent teacher conferences or the kids are at a play or they have a basketball game and you want to go and support them and stuff like that. So um, I 
did all of that because I felt like we had invested so much and I felt so strongly about making this, you know, program succeed and the farm succeed. We got a huge grant from the USDA. So like all eyes are on us. It was on the news and all of this stuff. So, you know, I felt like I had put a lot of pressure on myself to make this work, but I also was not able to do the things that I wanted to do at home. I was working really hard on, you know, getting things going here and just enjoying my homestead and and my plants and my animals and, you know, my community here. And I got to the point where I just couldn't balance both anymore. So I'd come home and my, I, my role had uh, transitioned me to working like year round. So I didn't have the summers off anymore, which is, you know, why everybody becomes a teacher because you want your summer break if you live somewhere where you have summer off. And I would sit in the car a little longer every day after work. And then finally, one day my husband came out and he was like, it's time. Like, you can't do this anymore. You got to make a switch. So we kind of, we, you know, we are very frugal, I guess you could say. Um, I think it's a running joke with my family and friends that my husband's very cheap, but (laughs) we are pretty frugal. So we were able to kind of talk it through and figure out what that needed to look like for us financially. And I think at some point I probably will, um, maybe go back to substitute teaching or something like that, because I really did enjoy that environment. But it just, I realized it wasn't something that I wanted to be doing every day, and maybe not something that I wanted my job to be. I still am involved with the organization that runs the farm. And so I go every once in a while and help with volunteer projects and stuff like that. But um, it was it was very draining. And so I just needed to, to make a change. And um, I also realized that I, while I love working with kids, I really enjoyed teaching adults a little bit more. Um, You can connect with them on a different level when you're talking about a lot of these things, and then they can go home and work on those skills with their children, especially like our generation, I think the 30-somethings, 40-somethings, our parents weren't necessarily the ones who were doing a lot of these things. It was our grandparents. So they may not be around to teach kids a lot of these skills. So if we can encourage parents to um, bring these things back into the home, then that in turn will trickle down to the kids. It goes the reverse also. Um, I know a lot of parents would come to me and say like, so-and-so has never eaten a salad before. And now all they want to do is eat spinach because you gave it to them. So, you know, things like that are, are very cool. And I, I'm I definitely miss those little moments, but I still try to stay very involved in my community and farmers markets and things like that. So I I think I have a much better, I don't think you ever really find balance. Your life is kind of like a seesaw. Um, But I think that I've been able to um, kind of realign my priorities, I guess you could say. I know when you talk about teaching kids, it kind of kills me. You know, I haven't been gardening as much since we had kids, but, you know, we have a CSA share. I grow stuff, you know, like my kids are in 4-H, they're involved in food production, whatever. We've been reading Harlem Grown with our daughter and now she's all like, gardening is the best. You can grow everything you need to survive. And I'm like, what did you, what did you think I've been trying to tell you for the last seven years, kid, that you're just like, did you know you can grow food? Thanks. Thanks. Cool. Or they're like, you ask, where does this come from? And they're like, the store. <laughs> One of my kids told me the other day, 
my own dear sweet children told me that we raise cows so that we can have chicken nuggets. Like, I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. Like, is my kid trolling me? I don't even know. (laughs) What is happening? Unless maybe he meant that we could sell cows to get money to buy chicken nuggets. Maybe that was his thought. I I don't know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The beef's fine, but we like the chicken nuggets in the box. One year I uh, took a turkey to school. Um, I did not ask permission. I just showed up with this turkey around Thanksgiving. And um, I was outside at the farm and I just had this turkey out there all day and the kids were asking questions. And we were learning about like, holiday food traditions and why we eat seasonally and stuff like that. So, um, but they're like, so this is like the turkey that we eat for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, well, maybe not this particular type of turkey, but yes, like this is what it looks like before you get the bird to the <laughs> dinner. It's, yeah. It's going to look similar to this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just so funny how they like, even at, you know, 13 years old, they're still like putting two and two together that like this, thing was living breathing walking around and now I'm gonna have it and then a couple of them were like I don't think I want to have turkey for Thanksgiving <laughs> I know plenty of adults who still don't seem to really have a handle on where animal products especially come from but um so you're running workshops now for other homesteaders how did you get into that and how are you designing and delivering your coursework Obviously, like, you know, with my experience as a teacher, I love kind of helping people get to that light bulb moment. Um, I never intended to start our homestead as a business of any sort. Um, we, We had, you know, some chickens and rabbits and things like that. And then when we were all stuck at home, um, we started collecting more animals. <laughs> so I was, my, my husband was like, this is getting a little expensive. You need to figure out like how we're going to pay for all of these things I need to eat. And I'm like, well, I'll just sell some eggs, of course, because that'll make me rich. So I um, started selling eggs just off of the front porch. And I was like, well, how am I going to get these people here to like come buy these eggs? Because our road is not really one that you drive down unless you live here. And um, so I started sharing a little bit more on social media about just like, these are chickens, here's the eggs, like they're outside, come get them kind of thing. And through that, people started asking more questions. And so I just started to share a little bit more about what we were doing. And from that, um, a lot of people were asking like, do you have a YouTube channel or can you teach me how to do this or how did you learn this or, or whatever? And for a really long time, um, probably almost a year, it was primarily other women asking me like, oh, I would really love to learn how to like, you know, butcher my chickens. I don't know if I want to do it, but I want to try. And so finally, I just said, okay, like, let me just try one class and see how it goes. And I only opened it up to women because I think that at least for me, um, whether, you know, your partner is a male or not, I feel like you just lean on your partner in situations when you're going through something tough or emotional. And so I really wanted to just have them feel comfortable coming alone, um, regardless of who was at home with them, because you were going to be surrounded by people who were in the same situation. And so that went really well. And, you know, everyone was really excited to be here. And I felt like I could 
connect with them in a different way. I don't know if you've ever been to any kind of like farm workshops, but even just different meetings, you look around the room and nine times out of 10, most of the people there are like old white men. So I don't always think that's the most nurturing environment to be in, Um, especially when you see like memes about um, dads or husbands yelling at people on tractors and stuff like that. So um, it's not always, there's not always a lot of patience involved. (laughs) So this was a way that I could um, offer that and also show like what you could do in a small space, explain to people, you know, I'm so glad you're here, but there are all of these resources out there that are free on the internet or go to your library or take this workshop at the extension office and you can learn how to do these things too or, or you know, gain more skills that you might be interested in. Like, I'm happy for you to pay me to teach them to you, but, you know, there, there are other ways out there to do this because not everybody's in a position to come to me for this type of stuff. Um, and so that was really important to me. I felt like for our community, especially having um, a Black woman, um, so being able to come to someone who maybe looked like you or thought like you was really important. And um, so all of that combined just made me feel like I had an opportunity here. And then once people kept coming and kept signing up and they're like, okay, well, we did chickens. Can we do turkeys now? Or can we do a goat now? Or can we do this now? So um, that was just really cool how they they felt like they were getting something out of it and wanted to return to the space. Um, So Anytime I'm doing any type of processing thing, I only do that in person. And typically we will do that here um, in a small group. I feel like it's really important, especially for someone who, um, even though I was more of like a urban suburban kid, my dad lived in the country and did a lot of hunting. So I was exposed to that as a child. But I think when someone hasn't been exposed to that environment or taking a life, um, being able to do that in person is important to me. So we do that together. Um, I've had people, you know, break down in tears and think that they can't get through the process. And we always, we always make it through, but you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer and literally having to hold hands as you do it. Um, and then I've started in the past probably year or so offering more things online. So kind of just like we're having a conversation now, I'll um, put together a course and then we'll spend a couple hours talking through it. And then the teacher and me always has to give everybody a little bit of homework to do. And if they want to, they can send it back to me and I'll give feedback. But I think that, you know, as homesteaders, especially, you have to learn how to think about your homestead as like this little ecosystem and you're a part of that. So you can talk finances, facts, figures, shelters, animal care, but what do you have time for? What do you have capacity for? What do you enjoy doing? How are you going to feel if something dies, whether that's a plant or an animal or your crop fails? Like, how is that going to impact you at the end of the day? So encouraging people to think about those questions as well is really important to me. And um, recently I have been invited to come and speak at a few like conferences and, and things like that, which has been really good because I find, you know, both as women and those of us in the Black community, we often um, try to create spaces of our own, which is really important. You know, I'm doing that as well. But being able to enter those spaces where you might be the only person who looks like you in the room is also really important. And um, so 
I talk a lot about um, whenever I go to conferences, I always try to give like a feedback. I don't always say the name of the place that I went, but like, you know, this is what the experience was like. If you're nervous because of you feel like you're an XYZ group and maybe don't fit in, you know, give it a shot because, you know, you'll see that other person and they'll kind of give you the wink from across the room. Like, okay, I see you. It's okay to be here. And um, I think that while I love to do things at home, I'm encouraging myself to get out more and get engaged in things that are happening both locally and maybe like on, on a state level as well. So I know you had just said that you don't necessarily fit the mold of what people think of when they think of homesteaders. I mean, to be honest, as a white middle-aged Midwestern woman, a lot of the homesteaders I know, you're talking like big bushy beard, dreads, lots of wool flannel, like plaid, Birkenstocks, Grateful Dead, you know, like old hippies and young people who look like old hippies um and like scary mountain men types whatever cool um so in the u.s about 36 percent of farmers are women and one percent are black so what's it like trying to normalize i guess or to show up or to to be a even rarer thing in an already pretty rare space. And I know obviously that you are speaking for all black women everywhere. So go for it. Tell us what all black women think. Everyone, you know, is going to have a different experience. And I feel like where you live, your state, your region, what the political affiliation is, all of that has an impact. Um, I think that, you know, for us, for me especially, I'll say sometimes you get in these situations where you feel like you're like, my husband is white. I don't know if you've seen that on (laughs) social media, but you get in a situation where you're like not black enough for the black people because of that. And then you're too black for the white people. (laughs) So you kind of are in this like middle area where you're like, I don't know where I fit in. I don't know what to do. Um, Some of the spaces like I have gone to events where I know I'm going to be the only black person in the room, maybe the only woman in the room. And nine times out of 10, it's fine. No one is, you know, telling me to get out of there or calling me names or anything like that. But I also own that I'm the only one that looks like me in the room. And I don't quiver in the corner or hide or, you know, be afraid to talk to people and shake hands and stuff like that. I deserve to be there just as much as anybody else does. And I think that that's, you know, what we forget sometimes. Um, And then on the flip side of that, I've gone to spaces where, you know, it's a black farmers event or something like that. And sometimes we can allow ourselves to be so angry at the other side that we kind of miss the point of what it is that we're trying to do. So finding that balance is really, really challenging. And sometimes even just like when it comes down to your style of farming or your morals behind farming, those two sides are going to look at things very differently. Um, I know everyone assumes because I'm, you know, black and I have 
dreadlocks that I'm going to be like super into marijuana. I'm like, I've never smoked in my life. But if that's something that is what you like to do, like go for it. I support you. Um, And so I think people on both sides will judge you based on what you look like or what you do. I know I struggle a lot in our family. Culturally, a lot of black people don't like to eat pork. And that's like our main, you know, food that we eat. So even like trying to have dinner sometimes with friends is challenging. Um, A friend messaged me the other day and she was like, where are you? How did you end up at this place? And she's like, you're one of the most connected people I know. And I was like, I don't know if that I would say that, but I'm like, you have to just be willing to like stick your neck out there and hope you don't get stepped on. And if you do, then retract, figure out how you're going to enter the space again, or if you want to enter the space again, and you know, go from there. But I always tell people like, as long as no one is like physically harming you, when you're entering these spaces that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, like just give it a shot. If someone's rude to you or mean to you and you feel comfortable addressing it in that space, like do it and then don't go back there. Um, It's okay. We don't have to belong everywhere. We're not everyone's cup of tea, but we also don't always have to feel like we need to recreate the wheel. Like you'd, like I said before, you deserve to be in these spaces just as much as everybody else does. Um, and there are a lot of opportunities out there that we're missing because we're scared to enter different spaces. Um, there are a lot of organizations that because you're a young farmer, because you're a black farmer, because you're a female farmer, because you're a first generation farmer, um, will allow you to participate in programs and apply for things and just have different opportunities. But people are so hesitant that someone's going to tell them no, or they're not going to get it, or, you know, it might not work out that they just don't even try. And it's okay to try out something and fail or okay to sign up for something and realize, you know what, this isn't the right fit for me. I'm going to like move on and try something else. So I would say my biggest takeaway for someone who is feeling for whatever reason that they don't fit in, just try, give it, give it a chance. You're you're prejudging this group or this organization um, because you think that they're going to judge you and you haven't even given it a shot. And then also like, don't let people in those spaces use you either. I know growing up, um, I feel like I would always get sucked into being like the token black girl in a situation. And so making sure that you know what your boundaries are and you understand your worth and you feel like whoever it is that you're working with has the right motives behind why you're there. And if you want to be the token black girl, like go in there and do that. But if you um, don't want all of that light or attention shed on you because of that, then be upfront and honest about that and make sure that you're there because there is value in what it is that you have to say and what you're doing, not because of the way that you look. I feel like I'm so filled with like middle-aged midwestern mom advice at this point like you miss a hundred percent of the chances you don't take wow it's just spilling out of me i feel like one of the biggest things i'm learning as i get older and as i'm you know raising my kids is that you're never going to be the right amount of something for somebody like you're always going to be too much this or not enough that or just whatever and that's fine but if they're jackasses about it, that is not fine. And that's on them. 
you know, they don't have to like it. They have to be kind about it, but they don't have to like it, you know. But it is good to to find people who are nice and are cool with how weird you are. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, you see now that other people, something about, like, you know, someone else's problem with you is their problem. Like, in the nicest, you know, most humble way to think of that. Like, that's just how you have to go about living your life. If someone doesn't like what you're doing, that's a problem that they have. That's not anything that's wrong with you. Um, and just like in the diversity of the homesteading space too, I know I had messaged you all about this, but a big thing is like, we're just a couple homesteading and people are always like, when are you going to start a family? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? And I'm like, we are a family. <laughs> we still are a family. Um, a lot of the uh, homesteading things are like geared towards moms and stuff like that. And we, unfortunately, like we don't think we will ever have kids. And so I think that people understanding that not everyone's like fitting into like the sourdough mom era or <laughs> whatever we're going into now, it's, it's okay for homesteading families to look different um we're not all gonna be like you know we don't have kids we're not super religious or spiritual really um we have this small homestead that we live on we're an interracial couple it's like just cross out all of those like check boxes that people normally those categories that people normally fall under and we have to accept the fact that this space is changing um people are changing and i do feel like we've been able to be a little bit more of like a safe space for people in all walks of life here. Um, I've had people come to me that are like, I didn't feel comfortable going, like me and my husband didn't feel comfortable going to this other local farm stand because of XYZ, but we love coming here. And I'm just like, how, how, how sad is it that someone feels uncomfortable trying to go buy vegetables? <laughs> it's like, you know, what, what world are we living in where you're, you're getting judged when you're trying to like go buy a bag of tomatoes or something like that. So it, it feels like food should literally be the most community place. Like it is literally the thing that we all do. And, you know, we might do it really differently, but it, it is really depressing to think of it being like an uncomfortable space for people. I'm just going to say as, as a parenting podcast, I want to say that I, I'm sorry that people assume that being a parent is a requirement of being a homesteader. And whether, whether you want to or don't want to have children, and um, those are still choices and decisions that are sometimes out of your hands or sometimes are in your hands, but that is not a requirement of the lifestyle that you're living. And sometimes the um, you know, like either the, well, you need to have kids in order to take over the farm or to help you with the work mentality is almost, is, can be destructive, right? Because it's like, I didn't have children to create a workforce. <laughs> that's, that's not the point. I, <laughs> no. Wait, you didn't? Because that is why we had kids, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, this, that's, that's not that's not their job as you know like as children and even as as you know my future adult children 
that's not their responsibility. <laughs> we didn't we didn't have them in order to uh, for a succession plan. If that happens, cool. But like that's not the intention of of having kids. So yeah, I'm sorry that that has been put upon you. In the social media side of homesteading, especially, it can feel like you know to to order your linen pinafore for your sunflower harvesting you must present evidence of you know 2.5 blonde blue air blue-eyed children you know and they have to be physically and emotionally healthy and you know like <laughs> you have to fit this mold or you just can't you can't homestead right you know i guess that's the other option if you're not going to be a dirty old hippie you can wear linen pinafores with your 2.5 children right so those are your options it's like um, I was talking to another friend about this the other day. I'm like, sometimes something as simple as like wanting to buy a piece of homesteading merchandise makes you feel like you're on the outside. There's like these shirts that say like homegrown, homestead, whatever, home birth, homeschool. And I'm like, well, can we like remove those those parts off of there? Like, I still like this, but I don't know where that. <laughs> yeah, it's cute, but there's a few too many words there. Right. And just... Uh, you know, sometimes we get like, I wouldn't say criticism, but people are like, oh, well, you guys only get all these projects done because you don't have any kids or whatever. And I'm like, we both have full time well, had full time jobs off of the farm. My husband still works his full time job, which sometimes takes him away for, you know, weeks at a time. And I'm here doing everything by myself and also was working. Um, and, you know, that's part of your life. Like, if you if you have children and you have to work them into your plans, like, you know, I'm probably not the best person to give you advice to figure out like how to get all your garden chores done and your farm chores done with kids. But I can tell you, like, you know, maybe my setup with all of this electric fencing probably isn't the best option for you. So I also think that, um, you know, sometimes people will like discredit some of the things because you're not in their their situation. But I also don't want people to look at me and think like well I can't achieve that or I can't do that because I have these like little people to take care of it's it's like I said your homesteading becomes like this little ecosystem and you have to figure out like how to make it all work together um whatever your situation may be as a mother who spent four years trying to have kids before we were able to um there is a lot of frustration in the amount of shit that does not get done or that takes so much more work than it did before we had kids. And it can be really envy inducing to see people who can just go do shit and like not have someone asking them for snacks and wiping their nose on them every 30 seconds. But we also get a lot of benefit from having those children and it is definitely hard to remember sometimes but it's not it's not on you that we had kids like you personally did not make me have children so you know i i get that too that people are like well you just don't you wouldn't understand i'm like i didn't make you have kids if you wanted to get your shit done you could have not had kids like that's the trade-off you made exactly and we, you know, like you were saying, you look at uh, social media and you see everyone like running around with their barefoot toddlers in the mud. And for a long time, we thought that's what our life would look like. But we also realize our life can be 
equally as beautiful, even though it doesn't look like that. I mean, now I have all of this. I do have extra time and resources and money and energy to like do these other things. And, um, you know, it's a little easier to go on vacation and have someone don't have to worry about like figuring out all of these moving parts or I don't have to give up time in the evening to like run to soccer practice or or whatever the case may be. So it's definitely, um, you know, there are pros and cons to both sides. And I think that we all just try to make it work the best we can with the the cards that were dealt for sure. Well, and I think, too, that even when you do have kids, you end up on the, the far side of this. There can be an assumption that if you're a certain sort of farm or whatever, that your kids are home birth, unvaccinated, breastfed, staying at home, <laughs> never going to school, homeschooled. Like, cool, if that works for your family, awesome. But I've gotten pushback for my kids going to daycare. And I'm like, I... I have a 40 hour a week job besides the farm, besides the podcast, besides my children. Like, I don't know what you think I'm going to do with them for that 40 hours a week, but they can't just be here running around barefoot. You know, like that's, that's the choice we've made for our family. And that's, it has no impact on what sort of parent I am or what sort of farmer I am. You know, it does have a big impact on our ability to pay for the farm, which is, kind of a, a priority at this point but I have a, a sister who's 12 years younger than me and I like my mom was a single mom and I just I don't know how she she did it I'm like I can't imagine like doing everything going to work all day and then coming home to the two of us me and my like you know middle school stage the worst point in my life and her with a newborn and having to just figure out how to do life with both of us and just her. <laughs> so I always tell people like the idea makes me want to die. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I feel like, you know, although I may never birth my own child, um, my sister feels like that to me sometimes. And she definitely uh, tells my mom that, you know, she's more scared of me as an adult than she is of her. So I'm like, I feel like I've done my job well. Yeah, I think I think that's doing big sistering, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I feel like nurturing teacher types sort of people are going to find things to nurture. Whether they come out of your body or not really is a pretty small part of that equation, I think. And Exactly. You know. I um I'm not super well versed on astrology, but uh someone said I'm a, a cancer. And so someone was like, we were talking about like traveling and stuff like that, or, or, you know, if we ever would move away or anything. And one of the people there was told my husband, like, you're going to have to like take her a little family of animals and house wherever she goes. Cause she needs to feel like she's at home and have something to take care of. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you only do farm stays from now yeah. on. <laughs> Look at the Airbnbs with farm options. Exactly. <laughs> so what are some of your uh, future goals? What's next? Going to grow your own coffee? Bananas? Oranges? Hope you don't get scurvy? What's, <laughs> what's the next plan? So I did actually um, get a couple of citrus trees and stick them in our guest bedroom. So we'll see what happens. Um, it's a little too cold to keep them outside. But 
I was listening to another podcast the other day and I was kind of talking about how we go through these cycles where we'll, you know, read something in the media or like have like a, a revelation around our food or, or natural living or whatever it is. And we'll freak out. We'll try to learn all of this stuff, kind of become overstimulated and then like come down and like start to find a little bit of quote unquote balance and, and, you know, identify what is important to us and what's not. So I feel like I'm in that like last stage now before the cycle starts over again. And I like hyper fixate on a new, a new task. So right now I, um, told myself like this year, I'm not going to try to do anything new in terms of like the homestead, um, taking on any new courses or anything like that. Last year I did, a. uh, urban agriculture certificate through the extension office. And then I also, um, my husband and I just traveled to Costa Rica and got our permaculture certificate. So I feel like my brain is oozing out of my ears a little bit. And so right now I just want to, um, start working on like implementing a lot of those things that we've learned here and making some small changes and then building community around that. Um, I, find it funny when I listen to um, Katie talk about like not wanting to ever leave the house and things like that. Like I feel very similarly to that, but at the same time, it's like you crave community. That's probably why you enjoy doing this, this podcast. So finding a balance between like having my space and time, but also like supporting other people around me, whatever that looks like. Um, I've been talking to a few friends about some different projects, like um, being able to raise more animals and things like that. A big request that we get is to supply, you know, meat and things like that. But we're just not set up to do that on a scale that is going to be profitable for us to provide that for other families. So we have some friends that have a little bit more space and want that to be utilized, but don't necessarily have the skills or knowledge to do that. So I think that's maybe like, a year or two down the line, but something that I'm looking into. And then, um, although it's not, although it's still a class, I'm actually studying right now to be a yoga instructor so that I can find a little bit just more like Zen in my life, if that's possible. Um, so that's something that I've kind of like really been diving into and just understanding how to like be more in tune with myself and how that relates to everything that I have going on. Um, so yeah, just trying to chill out, I think, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Well, also deciding which balls I'm going to keep in the air and which ones I'm just going to drop and, you know, say that that now is not the right time for me to do that. Sometimes it's okay to just, uh, to like use all your skills and, and, like do another season of all the things you've done before and not have to continue to, to add and add and add. Right. Right. Everyone's like, what are you going to do now? What are you going to, I'm like, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> like that's okay for a little while. Well, and like you said, with all those courses that you're taking, I mean, then you're learning new tricks to probably grow some of the same things, but maybe be more efficient or, or have them be, you know, just move things around a little bit, but yeah, maybe not, not start over and yeah, go into a whole bunch of other things or hydroponics or <laughs> something, something crazy. So Natalie, I have one more question before we start wrapping it up. With the number of animals you have and the fact that you're raising your own food, et cetera, et cetera, 
when you do travel, like not for a week, but like for for a slightly extended period, do you get a farm sitter or do you just put everybody in the freezer? That is a that is probably like the most common question we get is like, how are you guys doing all of this? Like, how are you how do you leave? Um, we definitely try to travel more when it's colder because we have naturally weaned things down here. Like nothing hopefully is giving birth or anything like that. Um, so we have fewer animals. Um, our goats are actually at a friend's house right now because they watched them when we went to Costa Rica. And I don't think that they really want to give them back to us. Um, so that's been making things a little easier. I make sure I'm not milking and stuff like that. But um, we have, you know, a really good community of people around us. So normally we're able to find some friends or neighbors and everyone just comes and takes a few days. And then if they have animals, we just try to return the favor when they're gone. Um, so that works out really well. I think a lot of people, when they have animals, they are like, I can never leave again. And you can, but you also have to be willing to like relinquish control. You know, they're not going to feed and water. And I don't ask people to like clean out chicken coops and scoop poop and all of that stuff. And I just know when I get back, I'm going to have some work to catch up on. So I try to explain that to people. Not everyone's comfortable, you know, leaving their animals with someone else. But um, I also think like, what are they really going to do that I would not do or vice versa that is going to like make this situation any better or worse. And for me, like us being able to leave once or twice a year for a week or two and like just go experience a different place in a different environment is more important than me than like kind of being in control of everything that's going on here every minute of the day. So my role is usually like I leave a really good comprehensive list of what needs to be done. And unless the house is on fire, you know, like you don't have to, you don't have to call me. <laughs> like You got this. I trust you. Yeah. Presumably <laughs> if they were too stupid to stay out of too much trouble, you wouldn't have asked them in the first place. Like, I feel like generally you vet it, you know, you know, these people, if you're leaving them. In yeah, charge, you know. exactly. Um, so we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And you can make up a category if you want. This one, I have been thinking about this for a couple of days. And um, I think that if there was a category for being like the poster child for the eldest daughter, I would I would win that. <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of things, whether they are good or bad habits, that everyone's like, are you the oldest child? And, you know, it's very obvious in the way that I live my life. <laughs> I feel like a lot of eldest children are probably teachers, too. I think there's a lot of crossover there <laughs> from what I know of the education, the, ed the educators I know. <laughs> I think a lot of them are also eldests. Yeah. Strong leadership skills. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Delegation, all those things. So we'll go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment. If you're a regular listener, you know that you can leave us a voice memo on our speak pipe or you can send us an email and we'll read it out for you katie what do you have to cuss and discuss this week this might be a shocker it's not a cussing i don't know if it even counts as a discussing but i saw something i'm gonna say it so fucking awesome yesterday that it just you know when you see something that's just like there is so much bad shit in the world 
but this thing, this is awesome. And people are doing a good job. So we have a very small town library. It's run by my friend, Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Lots of other amazing, amazing women who work there. And they noticed how many, especially women, especially younger women, and Natalie, I don't know if you've heard any of our episodes, but our town is very, very high immigrant population. And so there's a lot of socioeconomic issues and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's just a lot of a real lack of funding, a lot of issues, a lot of community spirit, a lot of growth, a lot of enterprise, but it is whatever. The public library got a new computer carol, you know, the little computer desk, but it has a playpen built into the side of it that is completely sanitizable. It has toys that are able to be sanitized because they saw how many parents were coming in with babies or with young toddlers and trying to like apply for jobs or email people or whatever people are doing on library computers. And as someone who has tried to do computer work with a small child in my lap, I can confirm it doesn't work. Um, so they put in, I've never seen one of these before, but it's a, a wood desk with a, a wood playpen with some toys in it. And I just thought it was cool as shit because it's just looking at a problem and solving it instead of being like, well, you should get a babysitter because that feels like that's normally the answer to these things. I have, I don't have babies anymore, but like you look at how small a baby is and then you're always, I'm always surprised at how far they can reach when there's a keyboard or, <laughs> or a mouse or you're trying, yeah, trying to, yeah, trying to fill out a government application or yeah, get to a, a website and try and figure out services or yeah, get in touch with your family wherever you're, wherever you have come from and uh, want to stay in touch with people. So yeah, that's a very cool idea. Yeah. Libraries are pretty awesome. Libraries are pretty awesome. We have those in many of the libraries here too. And there, I, before I worked at um, the middle school, I used to work at a school for kids um, with autism. And so those were also great in those instances because we could like sit in there if we had a student who would elope and like try to run away or something like that. We could sit there and like read books together and stuff like that too. So a lot of the public libraries here will allow you if you have like a young adult with special needs to go into those spaces as well. And so it's it's a really cool thing. I'm, I'm glad that you have that and hopefully um, people will be able to use it for all sorts of things. I feel like the public library is only below probably food and maybe music as things that should draw community closer. So it was just really cool to see one more way that the public library is serving us. And librarians, we appreciate you. Awesome. All right, Natalie, what do you have to cuss and discuss this week? Um, so mine is definitely more of a cussing. <laughs> um, when people will ask you to do something because I've gotten this a lot over the past couple of weeks when they say, I know you're really busy, but, and then like ask you this question or to take on this task or something like that. And I'm like, are you saying that because you feel bad asking me? Are you saying that because you think I'm like too busy for you and I don't have time for you? And so my new uh, rule I decided for 2024 is that when someone messages me anything, I'm just going to like 
wait 24 hours before I respond and commit to something so that I don't say yes out of guilt, but I also don't seem like too eager or um, too busy if I'm like not responding for a couple of days um, to get to that request. So I feel like if you need someone or want someone to do someone to do something, just ask them and hopefully they'll have the bandwidth to let you know if they have capacity or not. Yeah, I, I have one of those emails sitting in my inbox right now that I haven't decided what the answer is, but um, it's there. <laughs> but it, yeah, it was one of those. I know you're uh, I know exactly what you mean. I know you're really busy, but have you considered doing this thing that is going to require a lot of emotional labor? <laughs> In a volunteer capacity where you're not going to get paid. Exactly. (laughs) It's always the emotional labor, too. It's never like, hey, if you're at the grocery store, could you grab a loaf of bread? (laughs) Drop it off on my porch? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's always like, have you considered taking on this thing that you think is going to be 10 minutes and six months later, you're still going to be doing (laughs) it? We're forming a committee where we're just going to talk for hours on end. Would you like to join that? A committee of committees. Yeah. We're forming a committee to make a committee about something else that we'll need a committee for. Like, how about if you just tell me what you want? Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss today? Is it committees? And I, no, Mike, the committees I'm on currently are pretty good. The one that someone just asked me to be on, I'm leaning towards a no, but we'll see. It might not be the longest committee that I've ever committed. Um, my cussing is a short one today. We were discussing it before we came on and it's still in my head. Um, is the random Facebook requests. My currently are um, widowed lawyers, doctors, uh, military personnel. And I'm, I know they're probably, they're, I, obviously they're all scams, but like the scams where I don't even understand what the scam is. So like these ones are probably the romance scam, but then there's the other types of like, sometimes there's like the Instagram scam. That's another kind of account that I, I just... I don't always know what the scammer is scamming. I block them, but it's like, what are they trying to do? But then Katie probably knows because is this this is part of your job, isn't it, to catch scammers? This literally is my job, and the ones I get are widowed army surgeons, yeah, with yellow yellow labs or golden retrievers, and big mm-hmm. yes, there's usually a dog, big steel dive watches consistently with the steel dive watch i have a friend who gets some like totally different demographic which i thought was really interesting like mine are usually traveling they've got like a nice tropical photo this sometimes they have a kid but they're always older right like the ones that you don't really have to worry about in your love scam yeah um as someone who does catch scammers for a living like i literally have a meeting today about what the hell are these people doing because some of them are pretty obvious and some of them are just like we don't know (laughs) who knows we know it's a scam but what's what's the bottom line like you get the random messages especially on like your social media accounts and i'm just like i don't i don't understand what you're going to get out of this (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right what is the end goal here i'm not going to respond but i am a little bit intrigued it always makes me feel a little bad, too, when I get them for, like, the fake Norton antivirus. And I'm like, I feel almost bad. Yeah. How much you're wasting your time on this. <laughs> Don't bother, you guys. All you local company, not local companies, all you chains, I know you're not sending me gift cards. So just stop it. Whoever you are out there. Yeah. So thank you, Natalie, so much for joining us today. If people, not scammers, would like to find you on social media and uh, follow along or maybe take one of your courses, where should they find you online? So I have a website, which is 
handmade on the homestead dot farm. Um, so make sure you put that dot farm in there. And then I am on Facebook and Instagram as handmade on the homestead as well. Um, it's been really awesome to chat with both of you today. I have loved listening to the podcast and I have, I definitely like binge it a little bit, um, while I'm outside getting my like day-to-day task done, um, getting caught up on everything. And you have compiled such a well-rounded group of people, um, who come from, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds with different stories. So I'm feel like it's really special to be able to be a part of that. Natalie, that's what you need to tell people when they want to know how you get so much done. Don't be like, it's because I don't have kids. Be like, it's because I listen to Barnyard Language. If you listen to Barnyard Language, you could get shit done too. Thank you so much for the compliment. That does mean a lot. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash Barnyard Language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. 